Good morning, everyone. <laughs> You're awake now if you weren't. How are you all doing? It is good to see you. So, if I say to you, what is your four, first thought when you, and if I say the word to you, hell, hell, what do you think of? This first slide, fire and damnation. That's what we think. I said it to somebody on Friday and they said, fire and damnation. There's a famous sermon, don't know if you know it, called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Spoken by Jonathan Edwards in July, July 8, 1741. And he gave a, a preach on hell. And at the end of that preach, he gave a passionate gospel call to salvation. And part of it he said, And let everyone that is yet out of Christ and hanging over the pit of hell, whether they be old men and women, or middle-aged, or young people, or little children, now hearken to the loud calls of God's word and providence. And reports of that at the end of that preach was that the conviction of the Holy Spirit was so strong about the reality of hell that people were hanging onto the pews and to tree, onto trees to prevent themselves from sliding into hell. That's what happened. Today, what's the common thoughts to hell? And we've put a few up here on the screen. We can just go through those. Daryl? If you see any person, no one said this. We just picked the pictures. Right, so we'll just run through all of them. I believe in heaven. No, I'm not sure about hell. Just go through them. I believe in universalism. Everyone will be saved. Everyone, no matter what you believe, as long as you believe. I believe in annihilation, and rather than conscious eternal punishment. The body and the spirit are annihilated. The punishment is missing out on immortality. Do heaven and hell exist? Yes, maybe. I'm not really worried about hell. I don't really think about it. God gives us time. And if by the end of our life we have not made the right choice, he casts our souls into hell for all eternity. We might cry for mercy, but it is too late. That's what's out there. Hell is real. Hell is real. God's idea, not my idea, not man's idea, God's idea. There's little about the afterlife in the Old Testament. And I'm sure if you've read it, maybe you're like, ah, not too sure. They speak about Sheol, this land under the earth where you live a gray existence. You've got no strength. There's no light. And you're totally cut off from God and from man. Many of the Psalms speak of it. Just one of them, Psalm 115, 17, says... The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, into Sheol. But there are glimpses of afterlife. For example, Job, in that famous scripture that we all know this one, in Job 19, verse 25, he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, 
and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. As, as we've moved in our understanding, revelation of God in all aspects grows. It's not like they knew everything at the beginning. We're growing, and we're still growing in revelation. Think of how the whole idea of to save by faith alone, etc., etc. We're growing in our belief. So in the Old Testament, there was like they're not too sure of this afterlife. As people realize that God is not just God of a nation, God of Israel, that he's God of everyone, and that he's the God of the individual, people began to realize, well, if I'm known by God, and he knows me, then there's got to be, then not even death can stop this relationship. So the idea of heaven and hell. If you go back to the time of the Bible, Greeks and pagans believed in immortality. The difference of them to the Jewish view and the Christian view is that they said this body is evil. You don't want it anymore. So when you die, the body is destroyed and your spirit is set free. Now, I can't go into that teaching, but if, as you know, if you should know, when we, re we, are, we will be resurrected with a, with a real body. You will be you and I'll be me. It's not that the body is evil. Just little bits and pieces. Guess who speaks most about hell in the Bible? Jesus. Jesus speaks the most about hell. Just a couple of verses, and they're uncomfortable verses. Mm, we don't like to read them. Mark 9, verse 48, he says, Where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. Speaking about hell. Matthew 8, 12, While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is real. For my main text today, let's go to Luke. Again, Jesus speaking, telling us a parable that helps us to understand a little bit more about hell. And I believe it is vital that we have an understanding of hell. So Luke chapter 16, verse 19, the story of the rich man and the poor man. And Heath brought that word this morning where we focus on our, don't focus on our riches, the things that suck the life out of us. Read with me, starting at verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels. Hey, when you die, you're carried by the angels. How cool is that? To Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, that's one of the words for hell. There's also Gehenna, Tartarus in the New Testament, but Hades is, a, is used often. In Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember 
that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. And now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Sobering reading. One perhaps we read over and we don't want to dwell too much on it. Uncomfortable reading. What can we learn from it? Lots. I'm going to bring up five points this morning to the best of my ability. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Jesus, more than anything, I want to be totally true to your word and to your truth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will use me. I thank you for what you have revealed to me and you have revealed to others. Lord, I pray that every single one of us will allow our hearts to be challenged, softened, convicted by you, Holy Spirit. That as was spoken earlier in the worship, that we won't just hear this and go away and, oh, what a nice preach. But Lord God, convict us to our heart that we may change that we may change and have an incredible impact on the world around us to those who are hovering over hell. In your precious name, amen. Hell is awful. Hell is freely chosen. Hell is forever. Hell gives me peace. And hell demonstrates God's love. So hell is awful. Such a useless English word, awful. I, you know how you do the synonyms on, synonyms on Google and it got unpleasant, appalling, etc. It doesn't, there's nothing that can describe it. In this passage, um, the, poor, the rich man says he is being in torment, verse 23 verse 24, he says, I am in anguish in this flame. In verse 28, he talks about a place of torment. There is debate and disagreement and agreement on whether this fire is allegorical or, or real. And I'm not here to debate that. What I am here to say is that fire destructs. Fire destroys I'm sure you all saw the pictures recently at Betty's Bay of the destruction caused by that fire. When I, we went to Neisner recently and the green, you know, they had the fire a year ago. And the green is all back, but there's these stark black sentinels of dead trees. Everywhere you look, no trees. Destroyed by fire. What is the fire that destroys the soul? What is the fire 
that destroys the soul. And be just to a little aside, there's two books that I am, have referenced and have used. Both of them have a chapter on hell. One is Tim Keller's book. Um, I've forgotten the names. Be just creep back because it's important that I reference these. Not all my ideas. Timothy Keller's book, The Reason for God. And Artie Kendall's book, Whatever Happened to the Gospel. Both of them, you can get these, in, these things from me later. I do hope you have a pen. There's lots of scriptures. There's lots of information. And it's good to remember. I, I'd love you to go and ponder them and look at the scripture. So hell is awful. What is the fire that destroys the soul? And I think Keller does a very good like, like, uh, synonym to it of being drug addicted in this world. And I think we've all either know someone who's been addicted or perhaps we have had, the, had that journey of being addicted. And if I talk in the first person, when you start with a drug, you're in control. You can do this. You can control it. I can have a little bit, and it's, I, it's good for me, and I'm a better person. And I remember once someone telling me they pray better when they're using their drug. But as time goes on, what happens? You know what happens. We lose ourselves to this drug. It controls us. There's no more laney. It's the drug. And what used to satisfy me a little bit gets more and more that I need to satisfy me. While I'm here on earth, what happens? I have this desire not to be in this place. I go to rehab. I'm given chances. I try again and again. And there's always hope. Hell for the soul is that ongoing losing of yourself in the tract that you have chosen. And it consumes you. Leaves you with isolation. Leaves you with nothing. And you keep on, well, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Forever and ever. Hell is awful. Hell is freely chosen. God, that one at the end of the thing that said, God will send you to hell. Uh-uh. We choose to go to hell. In this account, there's a rich man, and you notice he has no name. He has his riches. That is what is his. That is what is all his life. So when he, he dies, what does he have? Nothing. He just has those riches, but they don't mean anything anymore. The poor man has a name. He has a name, Lazarus. Revelation 20 verse 15 says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Keller gives this definition of hell, which I felt was a good one. One's freely chosen identity apart from God on a trajectory into eternity. One's freely chosen identity apart from God on a trajectory into eternity. What does the rich man ask Abraham for? Did you notice? Not take me out. What does he ask for? 
Send Lazarus to cool my tongue. He has not lost that attitude of, I'm, in the, I'm the rich man. I have the power. Send him to serve me. God gave up his freedom that I might have freedom from evil and even from death. My choice. My choice. This side of eternity, from the moment we conceived, God calls us. We spoke today again, someone said about the heavens declaring who he is. God is calling every single human being on this earth, have been, will be. He is calling. He is saying, come to me, come to me. We freely choose. No, God, I do not want you. I want to go my way. I want to do what satisfies me. But many of us here, and I trust everyone, and if not everyone now, by the end of this preach, everyone, that we have accepted God's calling. We have realized, and man through the ages has heard the calling, and he's done everything he can to get to God. He's made sacrifices. He's walked on coals. He's flagellated himself. Why do we do all that stuff? Because we know there's a God, we know he's calling him, and we desperately need relationship with him. But nothing, nothing we do gives us a relationship with the heavenly Father. He has done it all. Jesus came as a man, died on a cross, was resurrected, and by believing in the blood of Jesus only, I am saved. The only way I am saved. There is no other way. And if you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior today, I sadly, with deep compassion, say you are hovering over the pit of hell, your existence forever and ever. And I want to bring it into, you might be saying, well, I'm okay, you know. I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I'm not going to hell. We choose, now hear me, please hear. So when we, we get born again, I really don't want to cause confusion in anyone. When we get born again, we are, we, we, we are sinful. I agree. We all sin. Yeah? We all sin. Jesus died for that sin. He paid the penalty for that sin. And we are imputed. We are given his sinlessness. We are given his righteousness. So I am now in relationship with God. I have total freedom to talk to my heavenly father, to have a relationship with my heavenly father. But the reality is I keep on sinning, don't I? Well, I do. I keep on falling into my addictions. And as Christians, the challenge is in that the word about the seed, we allow the Worries of this world, the riches of this world, to consume us. So instead of living a life of freedom, a life that says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, we are bound by our addictions. Now, not unto hell, are you hearing me? But we're bound in the fullness and the abundance of the life that we can have now. What sort of things? There are so many, and I don't know what your addiction is. I know some of my addictions. One of them is work, my career. 
How do I know if it's become an addiction? Well, you get your fulfillment from who you are and your status. You will sacrifice time for your family, all your time for your career. But you know, Lainey, I need to put, yeah. But are you sacrificing in the same way for Jesus? Which is your addiction? We sacrifice, we're addicted to our children. We will sacrifice for our children. We'll go out of the way for our children. I love my kids. But if I am giving up everything for my children and not for Jesus, I am addicted to my children. And God is saying, wake up, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. I wrote a few other ones. What did I put? Addiction to I'm such a good Christian. I live so good. I hardly ever sin. You know what I mean? Again, but not much. I go to heaven. I go to church. I'm in a home group. I even attend theology. I take theology. Yo, I must be so good. That's an addiction. Is my relationship with Jesus more important than all that stuff? Am I addicted to that? Am I addicted to social media? Young people, how many of you now, right now, look at me on that social media, tweeting, looking at your Facebook? You are addicted. Put it away. If you are tempted, put it away and bring a notebook and write on note rather than have your cell phone. Leave it at the door. First thing in the morning, I have to see what, what somebody said. Wake up at night, what is somebody saying? We are addicted to social media. Are we addicted to Jesus? What are we looking at? Have to be out there. Have to be seen. Are you seen by Jesus? Has he heard your voice today? Have you quietened yourself before him? One last one, because it's so in the media at the moment. This horrendous bill that has been passed in New York. If you haven't seen it, you can now abort to the day of delivery. What is that? What is that? It's an addiction to my control. Addiction that I have the right to decide what I want when I want. Never mind the baby that you're murdering. An addiction to control. My life, it's my life. I do what I want with my life. Don't you tell me what to do. Don't you tell me I should be coming to church. Don't tell me I should be reading the Bible. It's my life. I do what I want. Are we addicted? I really felt this is such a serious word for us today. And I don't know what your addiction is. You do. You do. Repent. And you know what this horrid thing is? Augustine said that as a Christian, we are able not to sin. It's a choice. Bad news. It's going to be a choice until the day we die. Someone asked me how long I've been a Christian. I have to think again. 47 years. I'm still making stupid, sinful choices. I irritate myself. So what do I do? I'm convicted. I don't live in condemnation. I'm convicted. 
Jesus, help me not to do it again. I do it again an hour later. Jesus, help me not to do it again. Jesus, keep me soft. Keep me hearing. Allow me to hear you. Help me not to just keep on going on the same old, same old. May I become more and more like you day by day by day. It's a glorious battle. Our goal is Jesus. Our goal is to see him glorified in every single aspect of our lives. For the sinner, the sinner, the unredeemed, the unbeliever, the person who says, I'm doing it my way, who's chosen their own identity apart from God, is not able not to sin, is not convicted by the Holy Spirit. God's given them a conscience, but it gets seared. We should have deep compassion. We should be speaking truth and life to those people. And the good news is we're starting a series next week on Colossians. If you're thinking, sitting here thinking, well, what do I put off? What do I put on? Don't miss the next 10, 11 weeks of Colossians. Very cool. Hell is forever. Did you notice in verse 26, Abraham says to the rich man, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. Sin separates us from the presence of God. That's why we need Jesus. And in the presence of God is everything good. Love, peace, joy, wisdom, kindness, everything good in the presence of God. If sin separates us from the presence of God, in hell there is no good. There is no good. And it is forever and ever. A quote from Tozer, he wrote a book called Knowledge of the Holy, and in it he's got a chapter on the eternity of God. He says, God dwells in eternity, but time dwells in God. He has already lived all our tomorrows as he has lived all our yesterdays. Who knows what that means because we're in time. An illustration offered by C.S. Lewis may help us here. He suggests that if we think of a piece of a sheet of paper infinitely extended, put in your mind, infinitely extended, that would be eternity. Then on that paper, draw a short line to represent time. As the line begins and ends on that infinite expanse, so time began in God and will end in him. And my life and your life is an infinitesimal, tiniest little black dot on that little tiny line in forever. Hell and heaven are forever. And the decisions we make in that little tiny dot, the way God has ordained it, will determine forever where we spend eternity. It is forever. Hell gives me peace. How can I say that? Having said what we said, how can we say hell gives me peace? Again, in verse 25 in our, in our text, Abraham, did you notice what Abraham said? Oh, you wicked, awful sinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look where you are. What does he say? He says, child. That is a term of endearment. My son. That's what he says to the man in hell. People have battled and still battle today. How can God be a God of love and a God of wrath? How can a loving God send people to hell? 
Well, hopefully you've already seen he doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go to hell. They choose their freedom rather than the freedom that God offers in salvation. But when we think about love and wrath, how can God be that? And there's a lot. When you read Scripture, notice how many times it speaks of this God of wrath. You and I with children, we love our children dearly. When they mess up, when they make some stupid mistake, are you not filled with anger? I used to say to my son, if you fall out the tree, I'm going to break your both legs. <laughs> then I'll fix you up. <laughs> when he was hanging like, you know, from this little twig. <laughs> we get angry when our children mess up. Why? Because we love them. The opposite of love is not wrath. The opposite of love is hatred. Because hatred in, ex in an extreme leads to indifference. God is not indifferent of any single person on this planet, has been, will be. He loves them. And because he loves me and you so passionately, he has to deal with sinlessness, sin, sinfulness, and, 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 and unrighteousness. Romans 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So we have to accept, okay, God of, he can be a God of love and a God of wrath. Why does that give me peace? You and I do not need to take any retribution. God is God. The unjust will receive their reward. There's always grace. A person can repent and, and, and be saved from hell. But it's not up to us to take retribution. It's not up to us to go and fight battles because that person's so unrighteous. We speak truth. But God is God. Hell does exist. And there is a place for those who never ever repent and accept Jesus as their Savior. That should give you and I peace. He will make it right. He will make it right. And then finally, the most important thing, also a bit of a like, what? Hell demonstrates God's love. How can that be? If, God, if hell is real, Jesus came to do what? He came to take on the full wrath of God. What is the, how do we, how's the full wrath of God worked out? It's worked out by people going to hell. When Jesus hung on that cross, Scripture tells us he took on the full wrath of God for your and my sin. And having described what hell is like, the desolation, the isolation, the denial, the ongoing gnawing, gnashing of teeth. Jesus did that for you and me. How much does he love us? If we understand hell, 
we will be gobsmacked. But how can you love me with my sin to take on that weight? And he did. That floors me. It floors me. How much does God love us? How much does he love us? And he alludes to this in the scripture. Did you know, right at that last verse, Abraham says, remember the rich man says, please send someone. He says, no good to send someone from the dead. He says, well, why? He says, because they've got Moses and the prophets. What's Moses and the prophets? The Bible. Then that last verse, he says to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Someone did rise from the dead. Jesus Christ. And so many people, people that we live amongst, do not understand, uh, you know, did he really, was he God? All that debate. If we understand the Bible, if we understand the context, we understand the significance for you and I that Jesus rose from the dead. And someone said today, the scripture was read, if we don't tell them, how will they know? Are we telling people that this Jesus rising from the dead is the most important fact in the whole history of life? And it will, the, what you do with it will determine forever heaven or hell. How are you convicted today? How do you respond to this? Unbeliever, not believing in Christ, not sure if you never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, with deep respect, son, daughter, you're going to hell. Only Jesus is the way out of hell, the way not to get there. Please, please, from the bottom of my heart, don't go without making sure you are right with your God and Father. And as you sit there, who, as those of you who believe and know you're not going to hell, who do you know who is going to hell today if they don't make a change in their life? Are you impacting their life? Am I impacting their life? Am I making a way, am I making that? Am I wooing them? Am I helping them to see this incredible calling of God? Or I am I just sitting, well, I'm okay, I'm not going to hell? What is distracting us believers? What are we addicted to? What are we saying, oh, but it's okay? God doesn't really. He's a gracious God. He is a gracious God. But he loves us so much. He has laid down everything for us. Am I laying down for him? Or is it a little bit too inconvenient? It was interesting this morning, Mark Driscoll put on Facebook. You know when you know God's just saying, yeah, Eleni, you've got to preach it. Every day, he wrote this today, two hours just before I looked, um, I looked on Facebook this morning. Every day. <laughs> God speaks on Facebook too. <laughs> every day. Hear me, please. Every day. Every day. We choose to invite heaven down into our life or to put hell up into our life 
by the choices we make. Ultimate choice. Determining whether you go to heaven or hell. Daily choice. Am I bringing heaven down or am I bringing hell up? And there's always, always grace. He forgives me over and over and over. But he gets, we need to be holy as I am holy. We mustn't put in the basket, well, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. I'm not too sure how to end this one. <laughs> it's a serious one. Let's stand. Let's stand. Why do we stand? It's like coming up to attention. God, I'm hearing you. I'm serious. It's a stance before God. Zacchaeus climbed up a tree so that he could see Jesus. We stand this morning before our heavenly Father, not before any man, Close your eyes so you are focused on Jesus, nothing else. Jesus, we stand before you as your children. Overwhelmed by the great love that you demonstrated when Jesus died on that cross. Overwhelmed that you're always calling me. Overwhelmed that you always want a relationship with me. Overwhelmed that you love me so much. Unrelentless love, relentless love. And we choose to pause right now, Father, and individually, one-on-one with you, That first incredibly important decision. Do I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior? And then what am I choosing today instead of you? word there, as much as we choose against him, we choose for him. Maybe you need to make a recommitment today. Maybe you've let go of your first love. Maybe you've forgotten how much he loves you, and so it's been easy to just make some bad choices in your life. Let's choose Jesus today. Let's recommit our everything to the king of the world, to the king of creation, to the infinite one, the immortal one, God Almighty, immortal, invisible, God only wise, life indestructible, glorious king. Let's recommit.
Let's lay down our lives at the foot of the cross. Let's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says he will add all the rest to us.